Welcome to Financial Education for the Nation. My name's Warren Shute, and when we're recording this, it's cats and dogs. It really is. The weather is pretty miserable today. Uh, solid clouds, overcast, raining, miserable. But it's not all bad, everyone. I'm here with the delightful Paul. How are you, say, Paul? <laughs> Hello, Warren. Thank you for that intro. Put a, smile on, the on Put a smile on anyone's face. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, well, I'll try my best. It's, uh, How are you doing? To be fair, a lot of the feedback we get, and this is genuine, a lot of the feedback we get from viewers, uh, messages or emails or stuff, say, oh, Paul does a really good job, answer questions. I've not told you this, um, but it genuinely is true. Um, really good. I like the questions he asks, that kind of thing. So um, thank you for doing it with me. Um, all the listeners and viewers do enjoy it. Uh, and I think it has a nice breakup between just hearing my voice all the time. So um, yeah, it's good. But today's an exciting, exciting topic. Um, we're going to change angles a little bit. Um, typically, we talk about the money plan, the five steps, because I kind of want to get that message home to you. So you really ingrain inside of yourself and you really use it daily. Um, so you make change financially. I don't do this genuinely for my benefit. I don't want to necessarily um, be on the, on the YouTube and on the podcast. I do it because I really want to make a difference in people's lives. Um, and um, what I want to change to today is a survey. So there's lots of surveys, that, financial surveys that come out, and I tend to read the synopsis of most of them, or a lot of them, um, but the Vanguard Advisor Alpha survey comes out around about January time, um, and it's quite interesting, really, particularly for me being a planner, an advisor, because it basically says, how much advantage is there in using a financial advisor or a financial planner? What do they do for you? Um, and that's what I wanted to go through with people today. Yeah, it sounds good. I mean, financial advisors and planners, they're, they're, I think, probably fair to say by a lot of the population seen as this thing that rich people use to avoid tax, essentially. And I know we've spoken briefly about that before, but who should use a planner? Who are they suitable for? I think there are some people out there who do not want to and therefore should not use an advisor or a planner. I use the word interacting because really you want to be using a financial planner, a CFP, a certified financial planner. And the reason I would like you to use one of those if you use anyone is because their academic qualifications are by far some of the highest in the industry. So they know their onions, they know their stuff, they've studied the books, but also they don't just do academic. To achieve the CFP designation, you have to do a case study. So you actually physically have to give advice in a form of a financial plan and have that marked. So whereas all the other um, exams that we do are technical, they're testing us on, do we know what the tax rates are? Do we know what the pension rules are? That kind of thing, and that's important. The CFP is by far, I think, a, a, the next level up where we have to do, we, we're given a scenario. Mr. and Mrs. Miggins, they've got this scenario. Can you please give me your financial plan? We have to write the financial plan, submit the financial plan, and then the financial plan is marked and graded. And it's not got a very high success rate first time round because the standards are so high. So a CFP, a certified financial planner, is really the, um, the pinnacle, in my opinion, in my personal opinion, the pinnacle um, of the industry. Um, and that's who I try to encourage people to go and see. If they've got challenges, if they've got challenging data, so if they've got assets that are fairly sizable, 
Now that's relative to the individual, but if their assets are fairly sizable, if they have estate planning issues, if they're looking at succession planning, so passing their estate down to their children, um, if, if, if they really just want to make sure they do the best out of the thing. If you just want to put 10 quid or thousand pounds or 20,000 pounds into an ISA um, for you and your, your partner and then maybe some junior ISA children, that's really not what a, where a financial planner, a CFP can add value. A CFP can add value of really saying like, where are you? Digging a bit deeper and then taking you where you want to do, where you want to go, sorry. Okay, so is there a minimum a minimum amount of assets of money that you'd recommend or is it just not, a personal? Not, not really. I wouldn't say um, it's really a minimum amount of assets because a financial planner doesn't really just look at investments. They'll look at the whole picture of you. And this is what's quite unique. When I take clients on at Lexington, um, I'll have people come along and they'll be quite surprised that I'm discussing things like banking strategies, um, pocket money strategies for their children, which we share on here, um, life assurance, disability cover, inheritance tax planning, wills, trusts, power of attorneys, um, the income tax, married couples allowance. There's so much that we cover as a financial planner in addition to putting a portfolio together, asset allocation, uh, pension rules, ISA rules, that kind of thing. They're the kind of bread and butter stuff that everyone does. Um, but a really good financial planner, a really good CFP, is able to ask disturbing questions. Questions that take you out of your current position into a, an area of saying, do you know, I didn't think that. I didn't think that. And, and generally, I start my conversations with, how do you want to spend the rest of your life? You know, you wake up this morning, you're going to wake up tomorrow morning, hopefully. What is it you want to do with the rest of your life? What does it look like to you? And it's establishing some outcomes, some goals, and then meeting with that individual maybe a year later and then checking in, making sure they have a, a strategy to achieving these goals. And that's why I find financial planning such a fantastic profession. And I say every single time, if there's somebody out there watching this thinking, I'm not sure what to do as a career, consider, if you like numbers and you like people, consider financial planning because it's an amazing profession. You get to help people live the life that they want um, and you get to work with some lovely families, not just individuals, your relationship base, you like the relationship. But, um, so you asked, what does the financial plan do? It's so much. It basically takes you from where you are to where you want to be. It's kind of like a money coach um, and a family CEO to help you live the life that you want. But... Um, all right, great. So let, let's bring it back to this survey then, because I had some interesting uh, numbers around it on, on kind of putting some meat on those bones of what a planner can actually do for you in reality. Absolutely. So um, first of all, um, Vanguard, um, an American fund management company, okay, founded by a chap called Jack Bogle. He's passed away um, just recently. Um, Vanguard is probably, I think, the second, if not the largest fund management company in the world. Okay, uh, it's right out there with the likes of Fidelity. So it is a huge, huge outfit. Very, very well respected in the, the States. Very well respected within the profession in the UK. Um, a lot of professionals respect them. Um, and they're just breaking into the retail market in the UK as well. So a lot of credibility there. So we tend to listen and read what they produce. And they produce this as advisor alpha. Alpha is defined as the added extra, the return on top of the return, what your the value add um, that you can achieve by working with an advisor. And there are seven points that they raise. Um, I just want to touch through each one. The first one is asset allocation. 
So remember, Vanguard are investment companies. They're coming at this primarily from an investment point of view. So, okay, we invest money. I've got £100,000. I've got a million pounds. I've got £10 million, whatever it might be. I'm investing the money. What does the advisor do? One of the best things they do is the asset allocation, putting the individual components together in an appropriate order based on your risk profile. And that's something that um, Vanguard feel that is more difficult for the consumer, the retail investor to do on their own. Okay, so making sure that if I've got my money there that it's diversified, I know you're very, very big on diversification, that it is spread across global markets, different industries, different, different areas. Paul, you've decided <laughs> all of these. I love it. Uh, when investing, diversification is your friend. So like you said, we diversify across industries. Um, we diversify across countries. So with asset allocation, it's all about owning a global portfolio, but not just of stocks, not just of shares. Asset allocating with fixed interest investments and knowing the difference between short-term, medium-term, and long-term fixed interest investments and knowing the difference between a government or AAA rated fixed interest investment and a B or double B rated fixed interest investment, more it's like a junk bond. So they feel that they don't actually quantify this, but they say it, there's an added value that the consumer gets by working with a financial planner for asset allocation. So putting the assets together in the right uh, proportions. Um, and it's quite interesting because we run on Lexo, my online platform, we run 10 portfolios. In-house, we generally run about five or six portfolios. And you can see when you look at the portfolios, the returns are fairly similar. Um, the risk increases. Uh, I shouldn't say the returns. The shape of the portfolio returns are fairly similar. The actual returns increase with the risk. But you can see how they all go up and all go down at the same time. The ones with higher risk rise more and fall more, um, but it's quite interesting to see, it's quite a nice pattern, if I'm honest, so you do that. So asset allocation, putting the assets together in right proportions was the number one on their list. They didn't quantify this, but they said there's a significant added value for that. Okay, okay. and I, I think that's, that's fairly easy to see. If I was gonna go and invest a load of money now, I wouldn't really know where to start in putting it, putting it together myself. I'd, I'd definitely take advice on it personally. All right, so that's, that's number one. Number two? Number two is rebalancing. So rebalancing is basically the process of keeping the asset allocation in order. So when you put a portfolio together, typically at a very, very basic level, you have a portfolio of two investments, one stock market, one bond. And let's say it's 50-50. The stock market portion typically will grow faster than the bond portion. And over time, that 50-50 allocation will go to 55-45, 60-40. And if you don't ever do anything, it might rise to 70-30 because the stock market portion is growing and therefore as a percentage, it's becoming greater. What that does do is it takes you up the risk categories. So it takes you from a 50-50 eventually up to a 70-30. Now, when we experience a market retracement, so when the market pulls back, Obviously, if I'm at 50-50, I know what my expected retracement is. But if I'm not consciously aware I'm at 70-30, the fall, the retracement in my portfolio is going to be much, much more significant. So rebalancing is the process of every now and again pulling it back so it's back in line. Selling your winners 
and banking the game. That's a good example of I do it. Um, and we typically will have a tolerance of about 20%. So when it goes out of sync by about 20%, so when 50% um, goes to 60%, for example, we would then bank, bank it and bring it back um, into line. It works both ways, though. So I've spoken there about the stock market rising, so banking the gains. But when the stock market falls in value and that 50% uh, allocation becomes 40 or potentially 30% because the stock market's fallen and the bonds have held up, it's about selling the bonds and buying the stock market. Okay? Selling on, and that's when you're buying cheap. So your pound cost averaging, you're buying cheap. And although it's counterintuitive and it's not logical, it does make sense emotion sorry so it does not emotionally correct logically it makes sense because the long term we're selling our um money that's secure and buying it when it's cheap so we're buying it on the on the downward on the downward trend um so when it recovers we're still at a 50 50 allocation and we're going to recover our our gain so rebalancing now they 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 price this and they say it's got about 43 basis points of value uh, and a basis point is 0.01 of a percent. So it's just, it's 0.34, sorry, 0.43, which is about just under half a percent of value per year. Okay, so not massive in its entirety. You might be listening and do this on your own. You think, actually, there's no value for that. I can do that myself. But there is a value, and these seven accumulate over, over the, uh, the course of all of them. So about half a percent of value, just shy of that. Okay, well, that's a good overview on that. I think that, that'll make sense. And, and so on to number three. What's next on the list? Number three is cost-efficient implementation. And what they mean by that is when people invest with Lexington or with Lexo, my online platform, we buy institutional-grade funds. So we buy the funds that aren't normally available to the retail investor. And the advantage to you and uh, me doing that is the funds generally are less expensive to operate. So we're buying cheaper funds. And the reason we're able to get access to them is we have millions of pounds buying these funds every year. Okay, so buying funds that are less expensive, which are cheaper, and therefore you keep more of the gain. There's less fit coming out of fees, more of the money staying in the pot for you to enjoy as your retirement fund. Um, okay, so like accessing bulk buying power, essentially, aren't you? Yeah, essentially, yeah. Good, good, good way of simplifying it. Buying power, so you know, more money going after a fund, you're able to buy it cheaper. So it's it's a um, institutional grade. So it's what it's what the bigger sort of institutions will buy with their pension funds. Going through a professional advisor, you can get access to those, and they quantify this to being sixty six to ninety two basis points. So 0.66 to 0.92 of a percent. Um, a year of additional gains. That's quite significant. Um, and a good example of this is if you look at the total cost of running a fund, um, which you would, might find online uh, or you might find through your advisor, then just nip over to um, Lexo and just check out the, the cost of those funds on there because those portfolios are extremely similar to the portfolios people will use in-house and you'll see the cost saving is so much cheaper. And if we're able to save that, 0.66 or 0.92% every single year, it's more money in your in your pot. And these are incremental marginal gains that are going to accumulate. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right, good stuff. So that's three down, four. Number four, which is the biggest one and the one that I probably go on about the most, is behavioral coaching. 
behavioral finance, behavioral psychology, your psychology around money. How do you behave when it comes to your money? And sometimes the decisions we make as planners are to protect you from yourself. Okay. <laughs> it sounds a little bit, hang on a second, my money. It is your money, but we all make mistakes in life. And what we're trying to do is make sure that your ultimate values, your aims, your goals are being met, not just in the moment, but consistently over time. And this is where working with a good financial planner will hold its own. What we're looking at is saying, okay, let's make sure that you make consistent good decisions. And that's where it comes from, it's consistent. Anybody can eat well, eat nutritious for a day. That's not gonna make you fit and healthy. Anybody can go and work out once. That's not gonna make you fit and vibrant and strong. It's what we do consistently over time that matters. And same with investing. It's the, the consistent decisions that you make. And that's why most financial planners want to meet with you yearly so that you have a yearly check-in to make sure we kind of realign you to make sure you stay on track. Because if you go off, if you're influenced by the external environment, particularly when the market's falling or if there's a, um, a recession happening, you pick up the paper, you look at the news, and it's all doom and gloom. It's bad news. Okay, I, I, I generally only watch the news headlines. I admit I watch a little bit more about Brexit than I do anything else. Uh, my son doesn't even like listening to news at all. He just says it's bad news. I just switch it off. Because <laughs> it influences our behavior. You know, so behavioral coaching, keeping you on track, working with you and say, right, what's your outcome? What is it you want to achieve? Where am I now? What needs to happen for me to achieve that? And then keeping you on track is a big one. And that's something that I massively work on. That's why I've done the videos in addition to writing the book. Because writing the book is a one-time bit of information, okay? But the videos are constant and consistent updates, helping you make constant changes and tweaks to your financial situation. And that's why we do the Money Planner uh, weekly update as well. So behavioral coaching was the biggest value for them. Uh, and Vanguard gave that 150 basis points. So one and a half percent additional value um, to this. Now, these aren't things they've just plucked out the air. They are things they've actually gone back and they've said, okay, looking at a portfolio where the individual did not have a financial advisor working with them and looking at a portfolio when the individual had a financial advisor, what were the additional benefits? How did they benefit what were the additional gains? And this is where they've come up with their research. All right, good stuff. Yeah, and I can see that. And it kind of ties in with your protecting you from yourself almost in terms of, yeah, just, just keeping things on, on the right track. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I think that, that's pretty clear as well. So number five reason to take financial advice or planning? Tax planning or tax allowances. Um, I don't do my own tax return. I could do my own tax return, but I don't, and the reason I don't is because I believe if you're doing something consistently, day in, day out, you're gonna understand it better than some, somebody does it once a year. So if I do one or two tax returns, maybe me and my wife or just my own, if I do one tax return, I'm gonna be okay. But if I did a thousand tax returns, I'm gonna be pretty good. If I do that regularly, I'm gonna understand more. That's why I believe there's always value in taking professional advice. Um, 
tax planning and tax allowances, making sure you utilize what's available to you because there are some tax breaks out there and some allowances out there that not everyone's aware of. But by, you know, I have a planning meeting typically most days. I've done this for about 25 years. You're going to learn things quicker. It's not that I'm more intelligent or more better. Many of my clients are more intelligent than I am, I'll tell you. And sometimes I believe they can do things better themselves. But they like the fact that I do it every day. I come up with the new ideas. I come up with constants um, and I keep them on track. So tax planning and tax allowances um, is another value added. In Vanguard, I've priced that it up to about 0.23 of a percent. So 23 basis points. So not a massive one. Um, because the internet, the advent of Google and the internet and search engines, um, we can Google a lot of things and we can find a lot of research out ourselves. But they do believe there is a value added there that you can, you, uh, that the financial planner brings. Yeah, I think just covering that, I think there's there's one we've spoken about before. Is it the married couple allowance, which is right. widely widely ignored, but is worth a few hundred quid a year and and is there to claim. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Another classic example is people not really understanding or appreciating, not that they should because it's not their area, but not appreciating the pensions annual allowance and what affects it. Um, now, this is for high earners. But I had a couple in just, just last week. Um, their income, they didn't appreciate it, far exceeded 150000 when we added in the bonuses, the P11D benefits, they had a rental income and their employer's pension payment, which they didn't appreciate. So when we added all this in, they were over that and their actual pension annual allowance was not 40,000. It tapered down. It was down, I think off memory around about 26 or something. So now they can only put 26,000 pounds in that financial year. So they'd actually funded more than that. So we had to do a mopping up exercise. They had unused allowances, so it was all okay for them. But had they not sought advice from a planner, they might have happily gone on with this. And what happens is you start incurring income tax bills on your extra contributions. So what it means is you pay tax on the excess, and then you pay tax on the excess when you take it out. So these the complexities around pensions, particularly for higher earners, is so big now. Um, it does definitely need um, advice. All right, good stuff, good example. Okay, so six of seven, getting to the end now, what's next? Yeah, number six is the spending strategy. Okay, so why do we invest? We invest because ultimately we want to draw down on this money to utilize it as income. So we're saving hard and rapidly for a point in the future where our earned income stops, so we stop working, and our investment income produces us an income to live off of, covers our expenses. So having a strategy, a withdrawal rate on that portfolio, where do I take the money from? How much can I take? How frequently? What do I do if the stock market falls? Having a strategy of withdrawing money from your portfolio, do I take it from the general account, from the ISA or the pension? All these additional benefits that a financial planner uses um, is not second nature to an individual. Um, and in, in a good example really is that um, I do this most days, most, by, I don't know, I've not looked at the percentages, but I would say off the top of my head, the majority of my clients have accumulated assets and we manage the income from those assets for the individuals. Making sure that they never run out of money and they understand how it works um, is, is, a good, is a good way. Make sure they've got a strategy there. Um, 
I, I want to say that you know, it's, it's important to know that if your portfolio falls 50% and you take a 10% withdrawal from it, you're down 60%. You don't need a 50% gain to get back up to where you are because that would just take you up to 20, just over 25%. You need over 100% gain in your portfolio to get back to where you are. So having some kind of strategy there of taking income from the portfolio so it would stained, we have a process that we do that. And um, it's quite an interesting process that's actually attracted quite a few clients to us because the way we do things. Okay, good stuff. And what, what's, the, what's the amount they put on that? Because that sounds like it could be potentially quite... You know, it, it's interesting because the nice thing is these things are researched and they've not just plucked them out of air, but they put um, 0.48 of a percent, so 48 basis points on that. Um, I think it'd be a lot more because obviously, like yeah. I gave that analogy, if your portfolio goes down, you just draw down equally across your portfolio. You're pulling the whole portfolio down. Um, if you take from a general account and start taking um, capital gains, tax gains, when you've got maybe ISA money, or you start drawing on your pension because it's retirement, but actually you've got all this money in your estate. So a pension is one of the last ports of call for us on taking an income because it's outside of your estate. But naturally an individual would say, I've come to retirement, I'm gonna draw on my pension. Yeah. We, we wanna leave our pension out there and utilize most, not all, but most of the other money first. So um, having a strategy, I, I would have put more uh, points on that really, but they give it, 0.48%, 48 basis points. So, um, yeah, that's where they go. Okay, well, like you say, it, it's kind of nice to know, because I would have thought it would be a bit more as well, but it's kind of nice to know that it's not just them blowing the trumpet about, oh, come and see us and, and come yeah. and get our advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, so on to the final, seventh of seven. What is their final point? Seventh of seventh is a fantastic one because it's something that I often get asked. Number seven is... Comparing total return versus income return. And really what they mean by that, I think, is so many people believe or feel that when they then draw on their portfolio, they should be doing an income portfolio. So buying shares or funds that pay a dividend or funds that pay a coupon from a fixed interest investment that pay an income from those events and then you live off the income. And there's so much research done around this that actually the return, the overall return of a growth portfolio, a total return is much better for the individual, whether they're taking income or not, than just specializing on an income portfolio. So buying funds that just pay high, high income. I would um, quite frequently throughout a year take on a new client. I look at their portfolio and either their advisor or themselves have put them into a portfolio of utility shares or high income funds. And when I ask why, they say, oh, that's given me the income that I'm living off of. And then when you look at the underlying performance of the share, it's either flat at best or sometimes it's going down. And the reason for that is the fund manager is sacrificing total return to provide you with an income. And then when I show them our portfolios that we put together with a basket of index funds, giving them total return, and then show them that they can typically take a 3 to 4% return from that portfolio, depending on how much risk they take, um, and their portfolio will still grow over time, they're, 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 they're almost confused, really. They're flabbergasted because it's been ingrained in people that when we take, uh, when we want income from our portfolio, we buy income funds or high-dividend yielding shares or funds. Uh, and it's not the case. A total return portfolio is far better for you. Um, 
And this, this point, number seven, the last point that they raise is very similar to the first point. For me, it's got massive advantage because if you think uh, you're taking the income from the portfolio, but your underlying investments are either flat, so i.e. eroding with inflation or going down, um, that's a big value. But they don't actually quantify the amount of benefit on this one. They just say there is a benefit to the individual, but they don't give it a, um, a percentage or a basis points amount. So, okay, interesting. So overall, then over all those points, what's the what's the total value add in in their data? The total value add at the lower end, almost at least, they talk about three percent of additional value. So when you add those up at the lower end, so there were some of them we were arranged six six ninety two up to twenty three. When you add up at the lower end, we're looking at three percent additional benefit of working with a um, a good financial planner, a good CFP as opposed to DIY, go it, go in it alone, okay? Now, 3% in our world is massive. That's a huge difference, okay? Now, to the, to the listener, you might think, well, that's 3%. That's like old bank rates. That's not very impressive. But let me give you an example. Just getting a 3% additional return over a 20-year period. So let's say you're in your 40s now and you're going to retire at 60 or you're in your uh, 50s, you've got a portfolio running through to your 70s. I had a client in just yesterday in his 70s, looked fantastic, healthy, fit. He's going to go way through into his 90s. A 3% return gives you over 80% more value in your portfolio. So 80% larger portfolio over a 20-year period. That's, that's massive because it's, it's not 60%, three times 20. It's the compounding growth the growth on the growth. Oh, compound interest again, eh? It comes back. Albert Einstein, <laughs> you know, it's, the, it is, it, it's massive. So our job as an advisor, going back to um, sort of point three, cost-efficient implementation, we're trying to keep the cost down as low as possible. We don't increase transaction costs. We want you to keep as much of the money. And if we can make you have effectively extra 3% on your portfolio each and every year, that's an extra 80% at the end of the 20-year period. Um, so it's massive, massive. It's like saying to someone you've got a £100,000 portfolio or a £180,000 portfolio. That, that's, that's a big difference. That's a big difference. And that really, I've been reading this survey for years, but I read it just recently. I thought, Do you know what? It's something that I want to share with the people who are, are watching and listening uh, the podcast, um, just so that they can understand using a financial planner isn't essential for everyone. If you're starting out, if you've got intelligence and you understand this process and you don't want to, I completely get it. Go it alone. Make sure you implement some of the things that I'm saying because they're proven and they work. Um, but if you feel you're a little bit out of your depth or you're very, very busy or you just want a sounding board, someone just to bounce ideas off of having a second opinion or a really big one actually for a lot of clients is um, you're worried that when you go and you die, the people you leave behind are going to need help. You know, quite often I'll have a husband and wife come in and the husband is quite competent, quite clever. I have one particular guy, very, very intelligent, knows what he's doing. He probably could do the job himself, but he knows he's a lot older than me. And when he passes away, he's actually in poor health as well. When he passes away, I will still be the constant. I'll be there and I'll carry everything on. So his wife will be okay. Um, that makes a big value, makes a big value. So, um, yeah, it's good. It's good. So I wanted to share that with everyone, um, to make sure, hopefully it's been a value to everyone that's listening.
Yeah, good stuff. I think it's a, like you say, it's a bit different from our normal stuff, and and it, it's not going to be for everybody. But it, it, yeah, it's important that eighty percent over twenty years is yeah that adds up to a lot. Massive, massive, massive. And then um, just to wrap up um, today's uh, recording, um, what I want you to do is um, I am supporting National Numeracy Day. Okay, National Numeracy Day was launched by a is launched by a charity to encourage adults typically to be more involved with numbers and to understand numbers a bit more. I thought it was so adept because of the numbers we've been going through, compound interest, looking at charges, that kind of thing, that it kind of made sense. National Numeracy Day is the 15th of May every year, 15th of May this year. Um, I've put myself up as a sponsor and advocate to support National Numeracy Day. And they've got a National Numeracy Day challenge. You can find it at nnchallenge.org.uk. I'll put it in the show notes, uh, so it's on here. Um, go online and do it. It's a fantastic test. Tech took me, um, I don't know, about 40 minutes or so, 40, about 40 minutes. Um, I love that, Mass. I love numbers. Um, and uh, see if you can beat my score. Uh, you know, it's just a bit of a thing. Um, it was great. It was brilliant. It was really, really good. So uh, if you want to know my score, I don't... It was a good score. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, so if you want to know my score, email me, message me, um, and see if you can beat my score. It's a really, really good test because if you start uh, getting questions wrong, it offers you easier questions. Uh, and if you start off getting questions right, it offers you harder questions. And there was one particular question for me that really did uh, rack the mental brain power. You can use a calculator. You can make notes, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's good. So, yeah, give, give it a go. I'm fully behind it, and um, I hope you are too. All right, good stuff. Well, I think your clients and our listeners will all be very happy to hear you got a good score on you. <laughs> I'm such a geek. When it comes to numbers, I thoroughly enjoy it. It's, it's, it's interesting for me. It's the logic behind it and solving the problems. And uh, my daughter particularly also has that um, geeky nature when it comes to numbers. My son's good, um, but he does it because he has to, whereas my daughter Isabella absolutely loves it. So uh, um, remember, if you're not already on the money planner um, process, please go to uh, warrenshoot.com and sign up for the Money Planner. Um, every Friday, we send you out an update, include the video, some other things that I've been up to, and uh, include a bit more information about National Numeracy Day, which you can get your whole family involved with. Um, and if you have any questions or feedback, please let me know. Um, like me, give me a testimonial wherever you're listening to this. I, will appreciate, I do appreciate it. And um, please let me know any questions you'd like me to cover in the future. Have a great weekend. Enjoy yourself. And thank you, Paul. I'll see you next week. Yeah, all right.